0: Many in the media feel that Donald Trump is being unfair to them when he says they are dishonest and biased against him. They insist that they are just telling the objective truth when they say he's a stinky poo-poo face who is making the Statue of Liberty cry by beating Mexicans to death with the bodies of innocent Muslims. The question is, are American journalists a collection of small-minded and corrupt elites so mesmerized by Democrat talking points they couldn't find their way to objectivity with a map and a flashlight? Because they're so busy raking in millions of dollars from their corporate overlords that they can't examine the belief systems that have turned them into low, narrow-minded, dishonest, and blithering buffoons. Or does it just sort of seem like that to everyone? The fact is, recent studies of American journalism since the election of Donald Trump have found that reporting has become so inaccurate that the phenomenon can only be accounted for by either dishonesty, hysteria, hysterical dishonesty, or dishonest hysteria. Or hysterical dishonest hysteria about hysterical dishonesty. For instance, The New York Times, a former newspaper, recently ran a story headlined How Trump's Rush to Enact an Immigration Ban unleashed global chaos. It later turned out there was no global chaos, although one New York Times editor was found running around in circles in the Times men's room until he ricocheted off the stalls. The editor later confessed he was upset because he had discovered he was a heterosexual male instead of a New York Times editor. In another instance, NBC reported that the Trump administration had eased sanctions on a Russian intelligence agency. It turned out that the sanction change was a small technical adjustment to free up trade. NBC corrected the story, saying they had made an honest mistake by lying because they were corrupt Democrats trying to give the impression that Trump was soft on Russia. The Washington Post's Josh Rogan published a bombshell report claiming that the State Department's entire senior management team had resigned, part of what Rogan called an ongoing mass exodus of senior Foreign Service officers who don't want to stick around for the Trump era. The story turned out to be completely false, and Rogan apologized, saying he had only meant to spread panic and discord and make the administration look bad because he hated them so much it made his stomach hurt and he couldn't sleep at night. And sometimes when he was in the shower, he would just cry and cry and cry. Other false stories from the media include Trump's threat to invade Mexico, which never happened, a Muslim woman who died without medical care because of Trump's travel pause, though she died before the order went out, and of course the bust of Martin Luther King Jr. that was never removed from the Oval Office. Some journalists have defended their error-filled reporting. CNN's Wolf Blitzer even went on the air to announce his support for his network, though he was jiggling his beard to spell out, help me, in Morse code. Wolf was later rescued and airlifted to an alternative universe where CNN news stories are true. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging also singing, hunky dunky Ship-shaped, dipsy topsy the world is a zing It's a wonderful day, hoorah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hoorah, hooray. hooray. Oh hooray hoorah. hooray! Hooray hooray! It's it's the clavenless Weekend is almost upon us. But Lindsay's here. Yay. Lindsay, come back, come back and say, come over and say hello, wave to everybody. Because <laughs> this is the only reason people watch the show. There I she is. You. I love you too. Welcome. <laughs> How's Texas? Good. Yeah. Still there. Yeah. Well, that's thank God. So yeah. so it's, some people have jobs. That's why. <laughs> that's why we we need them. All right. You know, I'm not joking about this uh, this press thing with those mistaken reporting. Since Trump has been elected, it's om- it's getting almost impossible to know what stories are real. I'm so worried about coming on here and just having say- saying this whole thing about something that happened yesterday and it didn't happen at all. John Nolte, the great Noltenator, is writing—his job now is just recording the mistakes— You know, that the press makes, I used to think Nolte was an honorable guy, but the fact that he's taking money for that, I mean, that's got to be the easiest job in America. Here's what I'm wondering about, okay? I'm wondering if this domination, it's complete domination of the news media by the Democrats, you know, it obviously creates this empire of lies for us all, and we're bombarded by, by these lies constantly, but now with Trump, nobody's listening to them anymore, and I'm wondering if what it is really doing Is creating this alternative, dishonest, illusory universe for the Democrats so they can't tell what's going on. I mean, they may have actually—they may actually be hurting themselves by creating this atmosphere of falsehood that they themselves believe. You know, back in the—one of the reasons I became an outspoken conservative, which was not that good for me, it made it very hard for me to work in Hollywood, where I was working quite a lot, but, you know, they started to make these movies while our troops were in the field attacking the war. On terror. So they would make films like uh, Redaction and uh, Lions for Lambs and other just I think there were like a dozen Green Zone. In all of these films, America was the bad guy and all of the films bombed and they would bomb one after another. And the reason I started writing about it was I just thought it was wrong to make films against the war while the soldiers were actually being shot at. They didn't do that during the Vietnam War. All those famous anti-Vietnam War films were made after the war was over. While these films are coming out, and they're bombing, 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 but they keep making them. It doesn't matter. Making them one after another after another. Variety, and the New York Times echoed this, I think, Variety wrote a piece saying, gee, you know, Americans just aren't interested in the war and terror. They're just not interested in seeing movies about this. And I was like, do they really believe that? Because, of course, then American Sniper came out. Which was about the fact that Americans were heroes in the war on terror, and it was one of the top-rated R-rated films ever made. I think it's number five on the list of box office hits of R-rated films. I thought, wow, these guys are so embedded in their own world that they think that they—attacking America as the bad guys in a war against these medieval madmen— They think that people just aren't interested in the war. You know, this happened just a a few months ago. I had an idea for a Bible story, and I was talking to one of my agents, and he said, oh, they don't make Bible stories anymore. And I said, well, why not? You know, I mean, Mel Gibson spent like 25 mil or something, and he made a billion dollars. on." Well, I said, they're just, they fail. Look at the Noah picture and gods and kings, the one about Moses. And I said, well, you know, when they made gods and kings, Christian Bale went on Nightline and said Moses was like a terrorist. To the Egyptian empire, Moses was a terrorist, kind of comparing Moses to the Islamic terrorists who were attacking America. And when they made Noah, which was, for those of you who've never read the Bible, Noah, is, is you know, the world is destroyed because of sin. But in the movie, it's destroyed because we're not environmental enough. So, of course, the people who like the Bible, who believe in the Bible, and who love God and want to see these movies, don't show up. And then Hollywood says to themselves, well, they're not making... They don't like these movies. So they're living in this complete illusory universe. So watching the news yesterday, this is what brought this to my mind. I started to think, like, maybe the, they have, the Democrats are so wrapped up in the media that they don't understand what the rest of us are seeing, everybody between New York and L.A. And I'm starting to suspect that there are people in New York and L.A. who have seen the same thing. So two big stories yesterday that the media is talking about talking about. One is... The judge, Neil Gorsuch, his Trump's appointment to the Supreme Court, made a remark about Trump's remarks about judges because Trump's travel pause went before the Ninth Circuit. Trump felt the Ninth Circuit was being ridiculous. He went in front of law uh, law enforcement officers and he read the statute, which gives him almost unlimited power to ban travel if he thinks there's danger. And so he stands. So stand. Play the Trump cut. Now, this is Trump saying, like, how can they not
1: understand this? when you read something so perfectly written and so clear to anybody and then you have lawyers and you watched I watched last night in amazement and I heard things that I couldn't believe things that really had nothing to do with what I just read and I don't ever want to call a court biased so I won't call it biased and we haven't had a decision yet but courts Seem to be so political, and it would be so great for our justice system if they would be able to read a statement and do what's right. So he just doesn't want to
0: call them biased, but I'm not calling them biased, but he's calling them biased, right? You know, one of the, yesterday I was talking to a guy. He's he's kind of famous. He's on CNN, and he said, you know, I was talking about the way. Trump plays with the truth the way he just kind of overstates things and all this. And this guy said, you know, people know the difference between a BS artist and a liar. A liar says, if you want your to keep your health plan, you can keep your health plan, and then you can't. That's lying. A BS artist blows things up a little bit. You know, he says this is going to be the best thing that ever happened. This is going to be, and, and he said Trump is not is a BS artist because he does what he says he's going to do, so he's not a liar. But he does BS a lot, you know, and this is and this is what's throwing the press off. And one of the things that what he said there was a lot of truth to it. When they people stood up, you know, uh, Byron York wrote about the arguments before the Ninth Circuit. He said one of the things that was so amazing was that both sides seemed to know nothing about some of the most basic real world issues surrounding the case. He says. The judge on the U.S. district court who stopped the order believed that none of these— Countries that Trump has banned refugees from have had any effect? Have had any? Have the, none of the people from those countries have committed terrorist attacks? And Robart asked a Justice Department, Department lawyer, "How many arrests have there been of foreign nationals from those seven countries since 9/11?" And the lawyer said he didn't know. Robart said, "Let me tell you, the answer to that is none, as best as I can tell." And what he was getting, he was getting information from CNN. But the fact is, that's not true. Okay? There's there. They have committed uh, acts of terror, and they have been arrested, and people have been, you know, these are some of the guys who are on the uh, law enforcement's radar. Okay, so Neil Gorsuch is making the rounds on Capitol Hill. He's talking to a senator. He talks to a Democratic senator, uh, Rosenthal, and that's Richard Rosenthal. I think he's from Connecticut. And Rosenthal now goes before the press and tells the press what he said in this, what Gorsuch said in these private conversations.
2: I said to Judge Gorsuch that I find these attacks on the judiciary absolutely abhorrent and unacceptable. And I asked him to express his criticism and to condemn these kinds of public attacks on an independent judiciary. And at that point, after some back and forth, he did say that he found them to be disheartening and demoralizing. but. My view is this condemnation has to be public, direct, explicit because he has to show the American people that he will be independent, more than just a rubber stamp, for a president who has launched a series of blistering and bullying attacks on the American courts, anticipating, in fact, to blame them for any terrorist incident that may occur if his side of this case on the immigration ban is not upheld.
0: So the New York Times, which has been doing this really interesting thing. I wake up every morning, five about 5.30 in the morning. And the first thing I do is I, I read the Bible a little bit. And then the next thing I do is I look at the New York Times. I do this so you don't have to. This is the kind of selfless thing I do for you people. I read the New York Times so you don't have to. And they are so biased. But later, when I go back and look at the stories, they've all been fiddled with. They change them because I'm reading it online. So they can change it without leaving any trace of the fact, that, yes. So today, this is how they covered this story. Trump shoots the messenger. I, I called him Rosenthal. His name is Senator Blumenthal. That was my mistake. Sorry. Senator Blumenthal. Trump shoots the messenger because what Trump did was he complained about the fact that Blumenthal came out and talked about what was a private conversation, which is not the typical thing. Usually these appointees can go and talk to the senators know that they're protected. This is a private conversation. But Blumenthal wanted everyone to know this was going on. So they said, This is—their headline is Trump Shoots the Messenger, and they say it was a bit of a kiss-and-tell moment. It's not serious that he violated this uh, confidence, but it's a bit of—he says the account was readily confirmed, but that wasn't enough to stop the president from going after Mr. Blumenthal, where it hurt. And Trump then uh, tweeted, Senator Richard Blumenthal, who never fought in Vietnam when he said for years he had, major lie, now represents what Judge Gorsuch—now misrepresents what Judge Gorsuch told him. The Times then goes on to say the President was referring to two thousand ten news broken in the New York Times, a media outlet he has openly criticized, so in other words, we got the story, but he criticizes us, but now he's quoting us <laughs> This is a news story this is not like this is not an editorial that Mr. Blumenthal had exaggerated his Vietnam era service now when I woke up this morning at five thirty. There was a line after that that said Trump never served either because of that bad foot of his. Ha ha ha! As if that had anything to do with lying about your service. I never served, but I'm going around telling people that. I, oh yeah, when I was in Nom, you know, it's like that's that's a lot different. Personally, uh, and again, this is just me saying this. I don't know what the rest of the people are saying. I thought really well of Trump that he was offended that he didn't say, "Oh, Gorsuch shouldn't have said that." Gorsuch shouldn't have attacked what I was saying. I mean, do you remember when he announced Gorsuch's appointment? He shook hands with him. I don't have the video with me now, but he shook hands and he tried to pull Gorsuch into this, like, kind of into a handshake. Like, he was going to pull him and put his arm around him, and Gorsuch wouldn't move, you know, because this guy, he stands up for himself. He holds his ground, right? And Trump has let all his appointees do that. He's let all his appointees disagree with him. I mean, this looks good to me when a judge who we want to be, obviously, we want him to be independent, we want him to do what he has to do on the Supreme Court, that that Trump isn't saying he shouldn't have said that. He's attacking the senator. I I thought it looked good. And, well, you know what? i got to stop and say goodbye to uh, people on Facebook and YouTube. So you can come over to TheDailyWire.com and hear the rest. But if you want to watch the rest, you got to subscribe. you got to subscribe. And you could have been on the mailbag. You've missed another oh, week. and oh. I know, another lousy week without your life being changed by the answers you get in the mailbag. That was fun, the mailbag this week. I it is, yeah. It's always good. So come on over to TheDailyWire.com. Uh, shell out a lousy eight bucks, and we'll also send you a terrific film, The Arroyo. Yeah. yeah. that's What a deal. Okay. The second story that's, that's big, and this this is real to me. This is hilarious. Jeff Sessions confirmed for uh, Attorney General. I mean, we're not we're not going to do the Trump. Uh, happiness montage again. I think we, we don't want to overplay the Trump happiness montage. But I myself, you can see the bags under my eyes. I'm just getting tired of winning so much. I mean, it's just too much. It is too much winning. I wrote to the president. I said, Mr. President, please, it's too much winning. <laughs> so Sessions, I mean, this, they, they sit there and they attack this guy. For as a racist, which is the it's the only thing they know how to do it is the only Thing in their playbook and sessions was confirmed and he was very graceful about the whole thing This is the
2: second uh, sessions cut number two I've always tried to keep my disagreements From being personal. I've always uh, uh, Tried to be courteous to my colleagues Still tension is built in the system, right? It is there Uh, And the plain fact is that our nation does have room for Republicans and Democrats. That's what freedom is all about. I'm fairly firm, i got to say, in my convictions, but that doesn't mean that all of us have to agree on the same thing. We need latitude in our relationships. And so let's agree on what we can agree on. And I suggest that to my colleagues as I leave here and and, uh, take action uh, where we can agree on things. But denigrating people who disagree with us, I think is not a healthy trend for our body. (laughs)
0: Well, he's alone in this, because the Democrats—first of all, the Democrats didn't—not one Democrat voted for him. I think it was uh, unanimous. And this is compared to all the um, uh, Obama appointments who were confirmed by voice vote unanimously. All right, but the big story, according to the press— Is Elizabeth Warren. And we showed a little bit of that yesterday. She was silenced, as she says. Though, if she was silenced, how come I can still hear her? I mean, if like, you know, we're not very effective in silencing her. But she violated Rule 19, which says you're not allowed to, um, you know, impugn the motives of a senator. She was reading, at the time they stopped her, she was actually speaking on her own, but she had just been reading a letter from Coretta Scott King written 30 years ago, 1986. About this case, this case is so complicated that it's impossible. You know, Sessions, three people were prosecuted for, they were using um, black voters' proxy votes. So they were absentee ballots, essentially, they were bringing in. And there were charges that these ballots were being changed. And some of the people who were complaining about this were black candidates. There were black candidates who were complaining about it. And uh, Sessions was attorney general of the state, and he's started to investigate. His people started to investigate. And they didn't get a good case. Some of the people changed their testimony later on. And Sessions was just in on the, the end of it. And basically, they, they got thrown out of court. The, you know, the, the, the thing was put aside. And Coretta Scott King felt that this was an assault on black voting rights, which it clearly, when you look at it, it clearly was not intended to be that way. So, Here's Liz Warren reading, uh, or what do they call her, uh, Focahontas because she <laughs> pretended she had Indian blood. We've been calling her uh, Chief Spreading Bull, which I think is pretty good too. Uh, she's she's reading this and she's making the speech and she is warned by the President of the Senate to knock
2: it off. The Senator is reminded that it is a violation of Rule 19 of the standing rules of the Senate to impute to another Senator or Senators any conduct or motive unworthy or becoming a senator?
1: Uh, Mr. President, I don't think I quite understand. I'm reading a letter from Coretta Scott King to the Judiciary Committee from 1986 that was admitted into the record. I'm simply reading what she wrote about what the nomination of Jeff Sessions to be a federal court judge meant and what it would mean in history for her.
2: This is a reminder, not necessarily what you just shared, however, you stated that a sitting senator is a disgrace to the Department of Justice.
1: Uh, I think that may have been and, Senator and, Ken- and, and this, it is through- although I would be glad to repeat it in my own words.
2: The rule applies then I'm- to, to imputing conduct or motive through any form or voice. To a sitting words. form of words includes quotes, words. articles,
0: or other, materials. or other materials. So she's she says she'd be willing to say it under her own in her own words. He's telling her not to do it. She starts doing it again. Mitch McConnell gets up and Mitch slaps her and uh, and, and proving proving really it was one of I thought it was one of McConnell's best moments because he has been picked on for eight years that he never does anything and now he s- sees that he can start to move. Okay, so. It's race, 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 right? This is Jeff Sessions, terrible, terrible races. What an awful, awful guy. This, it reminds me of this, and it's not working, right? It's not working. Obviously, the public is not backing this, and, the, and the, in 1986, they caved. You know, Sessions pulled out. And that's not happening anymore. Nobody is doing that anymore, and they can't understand it. What it reminds me of is there was a book called Being There, which was made into a fairly funny movie with Peter Sellers about an idiot who is raised in a garden, and he's supposed to be like a sort of innocent, and the guy who keeps him, takes care of him, dies, and he goes wandering out into the city, and it's the 1970s, so the city is an absolute madhouse. It's just crime going on, and all he ever does is tend his garden and watch TV, so he has a remote control, and whenever he sees something he doesn't like, he presses the remote control, and he can't understand why it doesn't go away, you know? And that's what the Democrats remind me of. They keep pressing the racist button, and they can't understand why the thing they're pointing at doesn't go away anymore. So now this poor, silenced Elizabeth Warren is everywhere. She's on every show, and she's just—it's all about—it's all—it's not about me. It's all about Coretta Scott King. You know, play—show the way NBC play this. They're, they're just trying to— Show the way they're playing it as if she's a, a feminist hero. This is the NBC cut.
3: A stunning standoff on the Senate floor. Senator Elizabeth Warren reading a scathing 1986 letter from Martin Luther King's widow, criticizing attorney general nominee Senator Jeff Sessions' record on civil rights.
1: Just one more technique
3: used to intimidate black voters. Republican leader Mitch McConnell interrupting.
2: I call the senator to order under the provisions of Rule 19.
3: Invoking an arcane rule that prohibits attacking another senator.
2: She was warned. She was given an explanation. Nevertheless, she persisted.
3: Within hours, that quote became a feminist battle cry. Already printed on T shirts, Hillary Clinton tweeting, She persisted. So must we all. Do you think what Senator McConnell did last night was sexist?
1: I think what he did was wrong. I think that but it wasn't read, sexist. I think reading the words of Coretta Scott King on the floor of the United States Senate honors the Senate. Oh, boo-hoo! Let me play a sad song for you on the world's smallest violin. Elizabeth
0: Warren, the second winner of the Andrew Clavin Smallest Violin Award. (laughs) So it's all about race. It's all about Coretta Scott King. Now... And, and, the, and the press thinks this is going over. I mean, you heard her saying, like, was it because you're a woman? Was it because you're a woman? It was because you're a woman. Was it, it was because you're— w-? They think this is going to go over big time. They think they've got—and, and, you know, everybody is saying this. CNN had a piece, you know, this is backfired. You know, this is backfired. by They've handed the liberal firebrand a megaphone, says, uh, says CNN. You know, this is, the, this is the thing they think is going to set the base on fire. I mean, listen, here is Glenn Thrush a New York Times White House reporter, okay? Listen to him describe this. Listen to the the relish he gets out of this.
3: Go ahead, go ahead. This is party building. You know, we,
0: the Democratic Party had a real enthusiasm problem in 2016 with Hillary Clinton at the head of the ticket. What we have here, is an example of a woman and and you show the uh the bernie sanders tweet he wasn't shut up mm-hmm. ted cruz wasn't shut up when he had uh, when he he called and mcconnell and a liar when he called mcconnell a liar on the senate floor but you have here is a woman reading a letter by a black woman who was married to the most sainted civil rights leader in history being shut up on the floor of the united states senate by a white male from the south if that doesn't get the democratic base riled mm-hmm. i don't know what would Now, if I'm an editor at the New York Times, and the New York Times was still a newspaper, and my White House correspondent couldn't tell the difference between the Democrat Party and we, when he mentions the Democrat Party, he says we, and then he says, I mean the Democrat Party, you know? you're fired. I mean, that's the end. that would be the end of your career on my newspaper, because that is just unacceptable. Luckily, the New York Times is no longer a newspaper, so Thrush doesn't lose his job. Here's the problem. Alveda King, who is Martin Luther King's niece and worked for Coretta Scott King as her uh, publicist, as one of her communications people, uh, she goes on Fox, and this is what she has to say.
1: In that letter, she would be referring to perhaps some of His comments, however, she would agree today that he, of course, ended some school desegregation. He worked to prosecute members of the KKK. Aunt Coretta was a very reasonable woman, and she, with integrity, would have noted that he had done some great work in fighting against discrimination. This is
3: a snapshot of 30-plus years ago. But it's a
1: snapshot. But, you know, she also said about immigration. She wrote a letter saying that immigration could hurt the black job market or the Negro job market as well. So she had very strong opinions and concern for all Americans and perhaps people all over the world. And I believe certainly that if she could look at the record of Senator Sessions today with integrity, she would say, well, he has worked to prosecute the Ku Klux Klan. He has worked to desegregate public schools. So it's almost like a bait and switch. Stir up the emotions. Use the name of King, and my name is Alveda King. Stir up people's emotions play the race card. Which is it she was dividing attempting your family? To do I don't,
3: I don't even, we're, we're going to hear from the president shortly. No, no, not dividing not. my
1: family at all. We have taken a look at many things that Mrs. Coretta Scott King said, Martin Luther King, Jr., my daddy, Reverend A.D. King. But our family, we are peacemakers. We bring people together, Neil. We do not divide people.
0: Okay, so that's awkward. Plus the fact that the NAACP in 2009 gave Jess Sessions an award for excellence. You know, I mean, this is the NAACP is basically a Democrat front organization, and they gave to the Republican Jeff Sessions an award for excellence. Let me show you what bigotry really looks like. All right, let me show you uh, the real face of uh, racial bigotry in America. Here is Senator Tim Scott, who supported a Republican, who supported Jeff Sessions, reading his hate mail. Okay, from his the emails he's getting f- for doing that.
3: I go on to read from. Folks who wanted to share their opinions about my endorsing Jeff Sessions, you are a disgrace to the black race. Uh, Anthony Burnham at Burnham R says, you are an Uncle Tom Scott. You're for Sessions. How does a black man turn on his own? Anthony B. from At Political Art says, Senator Tim Scott is not an Uncle Tom. He doesn't have a shred of honor. He's a house Negro, like the one in Django. He also writes, I guess Anthony Burnham has been fairly active recently on my Twitter feed, I'm a complete horror. a Black man who's a racist against black people Big Uncle Tom piece of fertilizer, you are a disgrace to your race. I left out all the ones that used the n-word, just felt like that would not be appropriate. Yeah, okay.
0: So that's not being played over and over and over again. Elizabeth Warren uh, breaking the rules and being treated as if she were a senator who had to obey the rules like everybody else. That's being played over and over again. Glenn Thrush, who can't decide, the New York Times reporter who can't det- distinguish between the Republican, the Democrat Party, and himself, is telling us, oh, a woman was shut down by a white male from the South. That's the narrative. That's the narrative they want to play. Why aren't people buying it? Why? Because nobody's listening to them anymore. You know, a new poll, uh, an Emerson poll, showed that Trump is more trusted than the media, okay? 49% of those polled see Trump as truthful, 48% disagree, so it's split down the middle. Those are numbers, says John Nolte, those are numbers our media would kill for because only 39 percent find the media truthful. So more people find Trump truthful than find the media truthful, which means that people understand the difference between B.S., and Trump is a B.S. artist, he's a businessman who negotiates with B.S., and lies and this is the media is full of lies and here is the ultimate problem house democrats get together in their plotting strategy at their annual retreat this week this is from mcclatchy okay they see themselves on the rebound but they have a long hard road ahead As they gathered in Baltimore Wednesday for their three-day conference, Democrats were unusually upbeat, protests against President Donald Trump have been energetic and ongoing, incumbent president's parties historically lose congressional seats in the midterm election, and Donald Trump's approval ratings are unusually low for a new president. But... The path to regaining political relevancy for House Democrats, who have 193 of the House's 435 seats, remains an uphill climb, with the party's support increasingly limited to the coasts and big cities. So the places where they have support, they already have representation, and the places where they don't have representation, they have no support. I think they think this Elizabeth Warren thing is a big deal. I think the rest of us think it's nothing. I think what Trump is doing, what Trump is moving so fast and doing so much stuff that he's the news. He is the news. Nothing they do is going to remain in the news. And all we see of the Democrats is protests, burning, violence. Uh, victimhood, oh, poor. she's a poor woman, oh, the poor blacks. But we know this stuff is old. It is old. And I just think by controlling the press, by controlling the press, you know, they made fun of Kellyanne Conway for using the phrase alternative facts. Okay, fair enough. But they live in an alternative universe. They live in an alternative world. And if, if Trump brings the economy back, if some of that rebound goes into minority communities, I'm telling you, like, they're not even going to have New York and L.A. anymore. That's why they fought Betsy DeVos so hard, because black people know their schools are failing. They know their public schools are failing. They're moving in larger and larger numbers into charter schools. And if Trump makes sure that happens, if Betsy DeVos makes sure that gets support from the federal government— they're going to lose their foothold. I mean, they only have to lose 10 or 15 percent of the black vote to become completely irrelevant, to represent nobody except the people burning things down. You know, that's that, that could happen to them. If Trump is smart enough, look, nothing is ever over in politics. I'm not saying the Democrat Party is going to be destroyed. I'm simply saying they're going to have a long, hard road if they don't start talking to the rest of us and come out of their bubble with this alternative universe in which they're living. All right, that's it. That's it. You guys are on your own. Next three days, you're done. I'm going to Colorado. I'll be speaking there at some beautiful hotel, the Broadmoor. I don't know why I agree to do these things, you know. I mean, I don't mind going to places and talking about God, but when I go before conservatives and talk about the culture, which is what I'll be talking about, they look at me. I swear, it's like... Huh? You know why the why the cult, why should we worry about the culture? We're winning, everything's good. You know why would we? And then when they start to lose it's like, "Why did we lose?" And you go like, "Because the culture, oh yeah, you know how come how come we don't have John Stewart?" You know, it's like cause you didn't do anything while you were ahead. Anyway, I never give up, so I'm going to keep going back there. And the hotel looks nice too. My final stuff I like for the week is uh, Diana Crawl, one of my uh, one of the terrific uh, kind of what would you call it, cabaret singers i want to dedicate this to the media to the news media uh, that they are un- under fire from the trump administration this is a great song called cry me a river i'm andrew claven this is the andrew claven show survivors of the clavenless weekend gather here on monday and we'll work it all out
3: now you see Being so untrue. Well, you can cry me a river, cry me a river. I cried a. River.